0: Our scripture text this morning is Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. Please uh, turn there with me. This is page 765 in your pew Bibles. A reading from Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is God's word for the people of Riverside Baptist Church.
1: Let's pray. Oh Lord, the gospel of your son is such a wondrous reality, such a glorious message, such a heart-changing eternity-changing truth. And we thank you, Father, that we not only get to know your Son Jesus through it and get to know you through it and have the fellowship of your Spirit through it, Lord, but we also get to proclaim it. We get to tell others about it. And Lord, we don't have rose-colored glasses when it comes to telling others. We know from your Word that it will be hard. Yet, Father, we also know that as we do it, you will be with us. For, Lord, you will never leave or forsake your people. And, Lord, you will never stop working through us. And, Lord, you will never stop caring about us. Help us, Lord, to see your truth. And may it inspire us, Lord, to be bold for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is always good to try to put oneself in other people's shoes in order to try and understand what they might be thinking or feeling in a given situation. And I want us to try and put ourselves in the shoes of the first disciples as we begin this morning, to consider what might have been going through their minds and their hearts as Jesus taught them. These men— like probably many in Israel, had been awaiting God's long prophesied kingdom. And their expectation of God's kingdom likely included visions of power and rule and political deliverance and great glory for God and his people. They'd been looking for a king who would free them from Roman oppression, who would unleash God's might upon the whole earth, and who would restore Israel to a right and lasting worship of the Lord and the land that he had promised to their forefathers. But upon Jesus' arrival, it was gradually made clear to these men that a different kind of kingdom was being ushered in by the Lord. For rather than bringing the other kingdoms of the world to their knees, Jesus was now bringing sinners to their knees as they repented of sin and turned to him in faith. And as sinners turned to him, he began to tell them that not only would his full kingdom reign come later with all of its glory, But in the meantime, they would actually suffer as they proclaimed him to both Israel and to the rest of the world. That they would even be hated and persecuted because of him. Can you imagine how wonderful and shocking Jesus must have been to these men and to the rest of those who followed him. He was better than any Messiah they could have ever imagined, and yet he was telling them things they never would have expected, things that likely made them afraid. He told them in verse 14 that some people would not receive their word. He told them in verse 17 That their fellow Israelites would reject them and their message, and that they would beat them. He told them that they would stand accused before the great powers of the nations of the earth, in verse 18. He told them that their families would turn against them and even slay them, in verse 21. And he told them that they would be hated by all, by all types of people, in verse 22, when he told them, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So, put yourself in the shoes of these men. Can you feel their shock? And can you feel their fear? But Jesus is such a gentle shepherd to his sheep. He doesn't leave them, or us for that matter, in dismay. Instead, he tells them why they need not be afraid. He doesn't negate all that he said. He simply tells them why they need not be afraid. Our passage today begins with the word, so, in verse 26. ESV translation begins with the word, so, yours might say, therefore. It begins with the word so, and this word so, it connects verses 26 through 31, the passage we're going to look at today. It connects those verses with all that Jesus has been telling them thus far in this discourse. And in verses 26 through 31, he three times tells them not to be afraid. In verse 26, he says, have no fear. In verse 28, he says, do not fear. In verse 31, he says, fear not. This was intentional by the Lord. Yes, yes, Christ's disciples would be and will be persecuted by kingdom haters, by people who despise God's authority, who reject his anointed king, and who hate his message that says, repent, believe, and be saved. They hate it. But Jesus, like a kind shepherd, cares for his concerned sheep, and he begins to explain why they need not be fearful as they face an opposing world. And his shepherd-like message applies to us right here today. We are not to be afraid in the midst of kingdom opposition. And there are three reasons that Jesus gives us for why we are not to fear kingdom haters. The reason, number one, that he gives us is that all things will be brought to light. The first reason he gives us why we should not be afraid in the midst of a world full of kingdom opposition is that all things will be brought to light. Look at verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The disciples were likely concerned about the stealthy opposition they would face. If you think about all the types of persecution that Jesus mentioned in chapter 10, you begin to realize that it would likely occur after these various gospel enemies had plotted ahead of time in the shadows with their dark conspiracies. For instance, if the disciples would be delivered over to the courts and flogged in the synagogues, as verse 14 tells us, this might have involved... Court and synagogue leaders plotting quietly behind the scenes against them ahead of time. They would then raise up a secret cabal against the disciples and come at them all at once with a pent-up ferocity. And my friends, this is precisely what happened to Christ's disciples in the book of Acts. Listen to these verses. Acts 13, I've only chosen some of the examples I could give. Acts 13, verse 50, listen carefully. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Listen to Acts 14, verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. In that same chapter, verse 19, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. In chapter 17 of Acts, verse 5, it says, The Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, a Christian. In that same chapter, chapter 17 of Acts, verse 13, it says, When the Jews From Thessalonica, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You see, my friends, Christ's disciples would face covered and hidden opposition from kingdom haters. And knowing this, I think, had to have caused them. Some trepidation. It is hard enough to have opposition, but it is even worse to have opposition working against you in secret, in the dark, behind your back, before they eventually reveal their ugly plans against you. The works of darkness prefer to perform their work in darkness, and this can make the people of light fearful. But Jesus says all dark plots, all secret plots of kingdom haters and all their underhanded activities will be revealed. I think that's what he means in verse 26 when he says, have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What's covered, it's going to be revealed. What's hidden, it's going to be made known. Or in other words, all that stuff that's in the dark, it's going to be brought to the light. Nothing that is hidden by men stays hidden forever because God will expose it. Men cannot plot, evildoers cannot hide plans, and opponents cannot keep secrets that won't all be brought to light one day. Proverbs 10 verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. And this, my friends, this actually is good news for those who love the Lord and who love the gospel and who long for his kingdom. This is good news for those who love the light and who yearn for righteousness and who want all of earth's darkness dispelled forever. Hidden motives and covered sins will one day be revealed by God. They will be judged by God and his righteousness will reign all across his created universe. And in that day, God's people will be satisfied, as Jesus said back in his first sermon, in chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Put yourself back in the disciples' shoes. Knowing that plots were coming, that dark antagonists would do their worst, I think it must have made them fearful. But being told by Jesus that what's hidden will be brought to light, that all of their opponents would one day face God himself and would give an answer for all of their underhanded ways, that they would not be left without justice, would mean they would have a reason to be encouraged. Because we can have some terrible things happen to us. But we can be brave in the midst of those terrible things when we know that a just outcome is ahead of us. We can move past our fear when we know that God will one day vindicate his people. And with this, Jesus says essentially in verse 27 that this kingdom message, the one that they're so opposed to, that this kingdom message that was once uttered in quiet and secret It was now to go public. Rather than cowering in fear over the unknown persecution that was coming their way, the disciples were to be bold. They were not to sit back. They were not to keep quiet, hoping that the darkness would pass them by. No, they were to go forth and take all that Jesus had been teaching them, much of it in private as they traveled around from village to village, and they were to proclaim it to other people. He says in verse 27, "When I tell you in the dark, stay in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops." The housetops were an important part of a Jewish home. Usually they were flat, which provided an excellent place to be outdoors and to work in the cool breezes. They also provided an outstanding location upon which to broadcast a message to others. For a voice coming down from a home's rooftop would boom throughout the village streets. The disciples were to take all the things that Jesus had been teaching them, those things publicly stated and those things said in private, and they were to preach them loud and clear. All that was hidden to the people was now to be brought to light. All that was once whispered to the disciples was to be declared to all, that more disciples might be made. Rather than fearfully cowering, the disciples were to boldly preach. This is what Christians do. This is the mission of Christ's disciples of all days. To proclaim the good news of Jesus to a dark world that his light might shine in hearts. And nothing can stop this proclamation. No foe can prevent it from changing hearts and reconciling sinners with their God. As John Calvin said, in no part of the earth was there ever such thunder heard as the voice of the gospel, which resounded through the whole world. No secrets, no dark cabals, no evil plots can halt the gospel. Because it is the word of God come to his world. My friends, leave the unknown things to God while taking his message to your rooftops. Don't fret over what is not in your lane. Don't concern yourself over what is not in your control. Instead, tell others boldly. There's going to be things you don't know there are going to be things that are happening in secret. There are going to be conspiracies. There's going to be darkness. There are going to be plots. Those are not your concern. Those are for God. You and I, we are to preach. Or to tell others. So that's reason number one. Reason number two why we should have no fear In the midst of a day filled with so much kingdom opposition, is that men can only kill the body. Men can only kill the body. Verse 28 And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The disciples were told that physical, painful violent persecution was coming their way note verse 21 it says brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and verse 22 he says the one who endures to the end will be saved who endures to the end will be saved Jesus does not sugarcoat what's ahead of them like no good teacher ever would. They would face a tough ministry. And though no one here has likely faced the depth of persecution that these first disciples faced, we will, all of us, face some hard opposition in service to Jesus if we are indeed faithful to Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, which essentially means you're a Christian, because that's what Christians desire, you will be persecuted. There are different levels of persecution. There are different kinds of, communication, of persecutions. But if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. But know this important truth. Our opposition is limited in what they can do to us. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Yes, they have power over our earthly lives. They can deprive us of our rights. They can hinder our freedom. They can rob us of our property. They can even kill our bodies. And all of that may happen one day. But they cannot kill our souls. The soul is the inner person. It is that spiritual part of you that will exist even if your body dies. They can destroy your flesh, but they have no power over your soul. That belongs to God alone, the one who made both your body and your soul. This is a powerful truth if you get your head around it. It is a powerful truth for Christians to know. The world's power is limited to the here and now, and they cannot harm what is exclusively under God's control. God says to the world, you can come this far and no further. He has limited their ability to harm Christians. Nor can they prevent God from bringing his precious people to his side. As a member of my former church once humorously and yet truthfully declared, Pastor Joe, what's the worst they can do to me? Kill me and send me to heaven? And I laughed. And then thought, that's the attitude I have to have. <laughs> that it shouldn't mean I'm a jerk. That I don't act like a gentleman around people and just cast off all care. But it does mean that I shouldn't fear people because what is the worst they can do to me? Kill me and send me to heaven? This truth, it empowers us to move beyond the fear of man. Most Americans live... 80 years, and then they have eternity. Sometimes we get so fearful over what's happening in the 80 years that we fail to contemplate the fact that all of that eternity is in God's control too. And that none of it, none of it can be robbed of us if we have Christ. We know, and we serve the one who limits all men. And with this, the right direction for our fear is toward God himself. This sermon is entitled, No Fear, but maybe that's not a great title because we are to have a fear. We're not to fear men, but we are to fear God. It says in verse 28, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear in this sense, as I've tried to understand the, the words that are used for fear in scripture and how they are presented in scripture, fear in this sense includes a A healthy understanding of God's righteous ability to judge. As well as an awe, an amazement of his amazing power and love for his people. Yes, we deeply respect God's sovereign position as ruler and authoritative judge over all of his creation, but we also are lost in wonder at his splendid attributes, which include his perfect mercy and grace towards the redeemed people whom he has made his own. We fear God because we both know who he is and because we know that he actually cares for us. Wow, he cares for me. I am not to fear man. I am to fear God. And understand, God can, and he will, destroy both soul and the body of sinners. For those who choose to reject him, who turn from him in their sin and refuse to repent before Jesus he will destroy both soul and body, he says. That word destroy here, it does not in any way mean to annihilate or to make disappear completely as if God will consume sinners in such a way that they will one day eventually cease to exist and their punishment will be over. No, the Greek word here means something like to put something out of the way. In this case, it is to put something out of the way of or away from God, and that is the definition of eternal misery. To be put away from, to be apart from all of God's goodness, the goodness that we see and feel and enjoy every single day of our lives. It is to live an existence that is vacant, an existence that is vacant of all of God's happy pleasure and good communion. God will destroy, or put away, both the soul and the body of unrepentant sinners. He will one day, my friends, resurrect even the unrighteous. He will one day resurrect the bodies even of the unrighteous, evidently to perishable bodies. And they will stand in judgment against him. John 5, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. All who are in the tombs will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All bodies Will one day be resurrected, and they will stand in judgment against him in these perishable bodies, the unrighteous will. And then they will face eternal punishment, both soul and body, from God. As Jesus will say in chapter 25, these will go away into eternal punishment. So, this destruction, this being separated from God's goodness, It will continue for eternity. Now notice the last part of Christ's sentence in verse 28. He says that God can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now as I have stated before as we've walked through Matthew, this word hell is truly an awful word. I don't like talking about hell, but I'm commanded to talk about hell and I will talk about hell. And I know it's needed to talk about hell, but no one wants to talk about hell. This word is an awful word. It is a translation of the word Gehenna. Gehenna is the name of a valley, precisely the Valley of Hinnom, on the south and the east of Jerusalem, which was so called because of the cries of the little children who were thrown into the fire there. In the days prior to King Josiah, back in the Old Testament, the people of Israel did a most ghastly thing. It's one of the reasons why God brought judgment upon them. They did a most ghastly thing it, in worship to the idol that they had adopted, an idol named Malak. They sacrificed their own children to Malak by tossing them into the fires that they had been burning in the valley called Hinoam, to the south and to the east of Jerusalem. And King Josiah, thankfully, put an end to those practices. He abolished them in 2 Kings verse, chapter 23, and he defiled that valley of Hinnom by making it a fiery dumping grounds, so to speak, for the garbage and even the corpses of criminals. And Gehenna, by the time of the first century in Jesus' day, was a place of continual burning, as it was always being filled with more and more refuse. And it eventually came to be associated symbolically with the judgment place of God. And Jesus adopts that word. That just as the bodies of dead criminals were placed in the fire of this wicked place, so those under God's judgment would face his wrath in the place that he has prepared. I don't like talking about that but it's necessary that I talk about that, and it's necessary that you talk about that. What is this place like? Well, to be honest, it remains somewhat of a mystery in the Bible, but it is certainly described in the Bible as a place of conscious torment that is deprived of any of the goodness of God. No one wants to be there ever. It is a place too terrible, in fact, for prolonged expression. But my friends, men have no power over our souls if we have Christ. And kingdom haters have no ability to destroy our souls in hell. They can injure the body. They can hurt our earthly lives. But God alone is to be feared. And praise God, he did something for us to be forgiven and to avoid his eternal judgment. Because though you and I are deserving of Gehenna, God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross bearing your sins, and He Himself on that cross was separated from the good fellowship of His Father, enduring all of the agony that you and I deserve. And He paid your price and my price, shedding His blood on that cross, that if we would turn to Him in repentant faith, We would be forgiven, for God would take all of his righteous merit, all of his righteous life that he lived, and he would apply it to us, for all of our sins that we have committed against him have now been paid for by his son on the cross. Jesus, in that sense, took hell for us. Jesus, in that sense, took the wrath and punishment of God for us. So man is not to be feared. God alone is to be feared. Reason number three that Jesus gives why we should not be afraid in a world full of kingdom haters. The Father highly values his children. The Father highly values his children. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. It is easy to feel worthless in a prison cell. And it is easy to feel small when the world rejects you. The disciples they were going to need to remember Christ's words here in the coming years. As they were provoked, and as they were beaten, and as they were arrested, and as they faced death, they would need to remember that they were loved. That their Lord truly cared about them. One can only imagine the great loneliness that the patriarch Joseph felt when he sat in that Egyptian prison feeling forgotten by both man and God. And one can only imagine what the Apostle Paul and Silas were tempted to feel before they remembered Jesus and started singing hymns in that Philippian jail cell. I bet, I bet that they battled the emotions of fear and loneliness and despair because they're humans like me. And if I was in their shoes, I would battle the emotions of fear and loneliness and despair. My friends, it is important for God's people to always remember that they are valued and cared for by their God. And Jesus knew this, and he prepared them ahead of time in this sermon. And note what he essentially told them. He told them that the Father is... Fully sovereign over even the most insignificant of creatures. Two sparrows could be sold for a penny, he says. In the Greek, that word penny, it literally means one-sixteenth of a denarius. A denarius was the wage that was given each day to a common day laborer after they did their work. So basically, this word penny is one-sixteenth of a day's wage, for a regular, common, everyday Joe Schmo laborer. Probably around five, ten bucks in our day. They weren't worth a whole lot, these sparrows, but they were vital to the poor in the land, for such sparrows were a common food source to the poorest of the Israelites because they were so cheap. Sparrows weren't worth a whole lot, but not one of them would fall to the ground apart from the Father, Jesus says. My friends, Your father. Notice the happy intimacy here behind Christ's expression, verse 29. Your father. Your father. Not just his. He's going to say it's his in a little while in this passage, but your father, he says. Your father is fully sovereign, he is in full control, and he has perfect watch care over even the most insignificant and worthless of his creatures. Nothing even happens to them apart from him. He notices, he cares, and he's planned for it. This same father highly values his precious children. He has numbered our hairs, verse 30 says. Now, I know for some of you that may not seem like such a big deal. After all, you can also count to (laughs) ten. But when we think about it, we realize the significance here of Jesus' words. That what's amazing here is not actually that our Father in Heaven knows the precise number of hairs on our heads as great as that is what's amazing here is that he actually cares enough about us to know it now i don't know about you but the things i try and put into my mind are things i generally care about i try not to spend too much time thinking about useless information i don't think about soccer I think about hockey and baseball and football. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: I want to think about things that are important to me. God knows the number of hairs on your head. And the point is not merely that he has profound knowledge, though he does, but that he cares enough about you to know something so unimportant about you. I was baffled by that as a kid. He knows the hairs on my head. That's cool, but why does he care to know that and it's not that he knows it it's that he cares enough about me to know every little jot and tittle about me and that is mind-blowing and life-changing my friends god knows more about you than you do he knows more about your mind he knows more about your heart than you could ever understand and god cares more about you than you could ever know We believers in Christ are of far more value than the rest of his creation. God cares about the frogs. God cares about each little school of fish. God cares about every little bright star, and God cares about each of his holy angels. But God cares more about his precious blood-bought children than anything else that he has made. My friends, God paid the highest price for all of his children. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners against God, God paid our price through his Son. And God will never stop loving his precious children. For Paul writes three chapters later in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates us, his precious people, from him because we are in Christ, his son. We've been bought, we've been beloved. So let us never think that our father has forgotten us, that he has devalued us, or that he has failed to care for us, even if we're in the darkest, dampest cell. He is there. And he loves. Oh, my friend, as you go and proclaim, do not be afraid ever, because the Father cares for you. We are not to be afraid in the midst of kingdom opposition. So let me ask, what are you so afraid of? Are you afraid... That if you talk about Jesus to your unsaved friend or colleague or family member, that they will secretly think less of you? That you are somehow strange or gullible or crazy? Or are you afraid that people will turn on you? That they will begin to oppose you? That maybe you'll lose your esteemed status or your prized position? or some friendship or some freedom which you enjoy or even your life or are you afraid that God won't keep his promise to you you would never admit it maybe but are you afraid that he would never keep his that he would fail to keep his promise to you that he won't provide you with the wisdom and the courage that you need to stand strong in a day of boldness do you doubt his love and care for you in a day when people want to hear less and less about a Savior. My friends, like a loving shepherd, Jesus pushes back against all of our worries and doubts and fears. And though others may secretly think less of you, the one who knows you and loves you has made you his own. He will reveal all things one day, and you must trust him by boldly relating his gospel to all of those whom God has given to you, regardless of their response. People may turn on you, and you may even feel the flame of persecution for a time, but you serve the master of heaven and hell, the one with full authority over life and death, and though this world may slay your body, they can never pluck you out of his good and powerful hand. And if the Father knows and cares about even the smallest and most insignificant creatures on this planet, then won't he continue to care for you, whom he has loved so dearly that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in your place? My friends, if you have Jesus, you are of more value to him than many sparrows. When it comes to your fear, let me challenge you to face your fear with faith in your King. When your faith is wavering, remember what the Father thinks about you, my redeemed child. When your faith is lacking, Remember how the Father cares for you, that he's numbered even the hairs of your head. When your faith is weak, remember what the Father has in store for you, an eternal relationship in the kingdom of his blessed Son. Do not be afraid, my friends. Instead, proclaim Jesus from your rooftop. Lord, make us all rooftop preachers. From right where you've put us, in our little village, in our abode, in our home, at our workplace, around our family, Lord, right where you've put us, Lord, help us to go to our rooftop. Help us to build a relationship. Help us to shower someone in love. Help us to seek out opportunities to supply love and truth when they feel so hopeless. Lord, open up doors for our church, Lord, not to wait for a program, not to wait for a pastor, but, Father, to go to those who sit right near them, Lord. And may we be bold, not fearful, but bold, trusting in our King, your Son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And we pray this in his name.